0: Hey everyone, welcome to the start. I'm Patrick. And I'm Nick. Uh, this episode, we're with Lauren Baxter. Uh, Lauren is a freelance designer who's pretty much lived life the way he's wanted to. Um, he started designing at a really, really young age and realized that his talents allowed him to work anywhere he wanted on any products he wanted. Um, interesting enough, Nick, our co host, uh, met Lauren through a company and a service that. Um, Lauren used to work at. It's called Ready for Zero. Uh, They happen to be this week's sponsor. And uh, why don't we let Nick uh, tell us a little bit about it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Patrick. Uh, Yeah. Once again, episode is sponsored by a a product that's near and dear to me, uh, Ready for Zero, as you said. Uh, It is an amazing uh, and free website that helps you develop a plan to get out of debt. Uh, I mean, this thing literally takes your debt situation, you link up your accounts and it spits back to you. A blueprint for getting yourself out of debt it prioritizes what you should pay off first it kicks what you should wait on all the way to the bottom it tells you exactly how much you should be paying gives you uh, the light at the end of the tunnel you know really tells you okay by May 23rd 2019 you're going to be out of debt I mean that's awesome right how many of you out there have credit card debt student loans mortgages whatever you know what I'm talking about I know I do and I've trusted ready for zero for a few years now And uh, get this, I mean, using the tool, it has helped me pay down over $20,000, if you can believe that.
0: Wow. Um, So that's pretty incredible. Um, So I just want to say thanks to Ready for Zero for one more time. Uh, Nick, why don't we kick in this intro music? That way I can uh, go sign up.
1: You got it. This is the start.
0: Uh, welcome, welcome to the start. Hey, how's it going? It's yeah, going well, I'm man. Um, thanks, thanks for joining us today. It's going to be pretty excited to hear your story. Um, how is it going over there in uh, sunny San Francisco?
2: Yeah, it's great. Um, it's May, so winter is coming. We get pretty cold summers here. Um, oh, really? Yeah, it gets a little foggy now and again in June and July.
1: Oh, I
0: did not know that. I guess that's fair. Yeah, me. Either. I've only been there once and it was for a week. I you can always
2: tell, you can always tell the tourists in the summer because they come with like just shorts and a t-shirt, thinking oh, it's sunny California. And then they always have these uh, San Francisco sweatshirts that they clearly bought at Union yep. Square because it was so Perfect. cold. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, um, so Lauren, why don't you, uh, why don't we just get this thing started off? Tell us uh, who you are, what you do, and uh, how you got started.
2: Sure. Yeah, so my name is Lauren Baxter. Um, I'm a product designer, uh, a freelance product designer right now in the Bay Area. Um, I started out doing primarily UX design, uh, but I also do visual and code. And I've done a startup here in SF, and I've done quite a lot of freelancing as well.
0: Nice. And uh, how did... um, Yeah, why don't you, I guess, tell us your story. Um, I guess... I wouldn't be quite Tarantinoing it if you you know get the movie reference, but that all you know where you are today started somewhere. Um, so why don't you tell us how you know little Lor- Lauren Baxter began?
2: <laughs> little Lauren mm-hmm. Baxter. Um, little Lauren Baxter was uh, raised in Sacramento, actually, mm-hmm. and uh, Sacramento was not the most exciting place to grow up. Although I think people always say that about where they grow up.
0: Well, are um, you a basketball fan? No. <laughs> or I uh, wasn't.
2: Now okay. I now I enjoy it, but yeah, uh, I played soccer well, there was as a, a kid.
0: There was a period in which the Sacramento Kings had like Vladi Divac, Mike Bibby, Paige Weber, Chris Weber. They were a decent team, yeah, for a oh, short yeah. period of time.
2: I do remember that. That was the one time when I was yeah. into the Kings.
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
2: <laughs> oh man. Um yeah, so I uh played a lot of video games as a kid and uh, you know, I was just really into computers, really into making things. Um, and so, kind of naturally, when I was in high school, I started making websites. Um, my first website was for paintball because I was really into paintball, and I would I would play every weekend. So I made a website called Lawrence Paintball Shack, and I would write all kinds of stuff, whatever was on my wow. mind about it. Yeah, I was in Dreamweaver, just hacking things together, and uh, I think PaintShop Pro was my oh wow my visual tool of choice, and. Uh, um...
0: How did you what was the excuse to get your parents to buy you a domain name?
2: Um I didn't I didn't buy one, you know, that it was like one of these sites where you could get a, sort of a subdomain mm-hmm. for free and then I think they'd put ad banners on the top.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. That's a good way to skirt around that conversation.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh but it, you know, people don't do that anymore thankfully.
1: And that's yeah. a well that's actually a, a good place to jump in quickly um what we've been hearing with a lot of the other guests is kind of whether the parent their parents were like supportive you know of this kind of obsession with with tech and computers and in doing this or not um so where do you think yours would fall lauren
2: i mean i think that you know at that point they didn't understand that the future was in computers and so you know they were They weren't against it, but they were like, hey, you should you should go outside and run around and play, you know, and go do normal Mm -hmm. kid things, Um, which I did some of. But, you know, they they also didn't really hold me back. They could tell that I was really into it um, and that I was doing interesting things they didn't quite understand. And they thought that was cool.
1: That's great.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, it's good to have parents who are just like, well, it's not something we'd pick, but we're going to let them do it and just support them.
1: Cool. So, how did you become uh, interested in it? I guess you just were from the start, or is there anything, you know, that kind of drove you toward the screen?
2: Well, I think it, you know, there's just so much potential. Like, I, I don't know at the time if I could have described it to you, uh, but I could feel it. You know, I could tell the sense of possibility with computers, and and like, wow, I can sit down. And, you know, write some code and, and make some images and I can put a thing on the internet that people can go to, you know, and, and then to try that out and then look at the results and say, oh my God, you know, a hundred people, these strangers came to my website yesterday. I don't know who they are, uh, but it seems like they got some value from this thing that I created. Um, it was so powerful, especially as, you know, a 14, 15-year-old kid, Um I think it's hard to feel like you can have an impact on the world at that point, but computers really let me do that. Really good um, point. So I yeah. yeah so I, I kept going with it and you know, I was interested in a number of different things, but I, I loved the creative outlet it provided.
0: Um you said you kept going with it. So the paintball site, you said you made like like fifteen, is that correct? Uh, I think around there, yeah. So, what did you do? What What was after that? So, it sounds like you did that. You're writing on, you know, blogging, essentially, uh, whether it was called that at the time, um, about like paintball stuff. It sounds like you had some visitors, whether friends or just strangers from across the internet, um, and that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Sort of gave you a little itch that you needed to scratch. What was uh, what what was going through your head? What were you doing after that?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of things kind of came together. When I went to college, um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to study. I had made a few other websites and things along the way in high school, um, but my parents were both landscape architects, and so they, you know, they're creative people mm-hmm. as well. And they, you know, I got to see how their job kind of worked for them and what they got to do. And it's funny because I, you know, in my angsty teen years, I thought their job was super lame. Mm-hmm. And I also had this intention of becoming an architect, and I thought that those things were totally separate because I was, because I was stupid. Um, okay. <laughs> um, but no, I was really interested in uh, neuroscience. I was interested in psychology and how people work. Um, really interested in human relationships and interested in architecture and computers. And so I sort of just had this big uh, cloud of stuff I was interested in. And when I went to college, um, I was undeclared for a while, took a bunch of classes, and I ended up taking a, an introductory cognitive science class, um, which is sort of a newer field, but it's basically a blend of all of those things. They teach neuroscience, they teach psychology, they teach computers, they teach philosophy, um, so is this, and they teach design.
0: Lauren, was this an HCI class, like human computing interface, or like something totally separate?
2: Uh, Cogsci is a little broader, and then within okay. that, they had an HCI track. Gotcha. Um, okay and so I as soon as I found that I I thought man this is it this is what I want to do um, you know they had all these they talked about all the crazy like type design stuff that people do and, and robots and the internet in the future and I you know just blew my mind I was like wow this is it you know so I immediately uh, declared and I, I did the HCI track uh, within cognitive science so I kind of went straight into my career out of that
0: nice was there um so while you were how can I phrase this while you're in the HCI track, I'm sure you were making mm-hmm. things as well, right?
2: Yeah. Some things we had these, uh, these really big project classes, you know, where we had to do a large, like, you know, we'd spend a whole quarter working on a website for something, or we would spend a whole quarter, uh, doing an ethnography and, and working on a product. Um, so a couple of the things I did there, uh, I did a website for breweries around San Diego. Um, even though I wasn't 21, so I couldn't go to any of them or drink any of the (laughs) beer. Um, And then I did a project where we were trying to do basically what Doodle does now. It's like group calendaring and scheduling. Mm. Um, Oh, cool. Yeah, and and interestingly enough, the uh, one person on that project with me um, in that group ended up being uh, someone... His name's Rod Ibrahimi. Uh, I worked with him as a freelancer later and then we actually uh, started a company together years and years later in San Francisco.
1: Wow, that's crazy that's really cool. yeah I mean that's that's yeah. uh, I've met Rod as well so that's very cool to hear hear that hear where it started yeah
0: so then okay, so high school you sort of got this little itch college you were really able to scratch it um, just because of the the major that they offered. What schools did you go to by the way?
2: Oh, I went to UC San Diego.
0: Okay, cool. Oh man, San Diego was nice too. Uh, so you did that and then built a few projects and then you graduated. Or maybe you didn't graduate, and you dropped out. I'm not, I'm not quite sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I graduated, yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, what, was, uh, what was, I don't want to say what was next because I don't want to make it sound like we're jumping from life chapter to life chapter, but what was going through your head like around, you know, when you're getting ready to graduate and then when you're walking across the stage and then the next day?
2: Yeah, I was excited. You know, I felt like through education you spend so much time and money of your life being sort of this, you're sort of this like black hole that people just put education and time and money, you know, just put it into you and you don't really produce anything real for a long time. Um, You know, you can do it on your own, but I I was just so ready to like make something, Mm -hmm. you know, create things and, and be an inventor and have people use them. So yeah, I was really excited to start my career. I had I had been a wilderness guide all through college, um, so I was it was going to be a big change, in terms of going you know hanging out in front of computers instead of uh, you know dancing around in the woods uh, with kids. But I was ready, so I, I started interviewing, um, and it, it took a while to find my first job. Um, San Diego didn't have, and I don't think still doesn't have, nearly the tech scene that we have here in, in the Bay Area, or that you guys have in New York, um, and I there were fewer companies and they didn't value design as much at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, this was 2006, 2007, and people hadn't really, you know, Apple hadn't really released the iPhone yet. Um, it hadn't been shown to a lot of companies the, the ROI of having good design yet. So um, I was interviewing at Google and a, a few other places, um, but it did take a while to get my, my first job.
0: Did you, uh, did you focus on technology companies? Or were you just like any place that I could design? Technology happens to have design, so let's go there. Um, yeah, tech companies, tech companies.
2: So I interviewed you know, a number of places. Um, Google was one of them for a user research role. Uh, there was a, a random software consultancy in Minnesota. Um, that yeah,
0: that does sound random, <laughs> Minnesota.
2: I'm pretty glad I didn't move out to Minnesota. Um, nothing against it, but I, I love California, and I'm glad I ended up in the Bay.
0: That's really cool. So, uh, what was um, what was that first job that you ended up landing?
2: Yeah, so the company is called WebSense. It's a web security company. Um, They basically do (laughs) they do filtering on the internet, or that was their sort of core thing in the past. So, um, you know, if you're on your corporate network and you try to go, you know, go on a gambling site or go look at porn, you'll get blocked. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, this is sort of the admin type of stuff for that. Gotcha. Um so not the most, you know, exciting consumer product, but we had some really interesting uh, challenges to solve. And what what was the sure. what was the role? Uh so I was a basically a UX researcher and an interaction designer. So I literally started doing exactly almost exactly the same thing I do today, uh, minus you know some other extra things.
1: Was
0: So what does I'm I'm actually curious um the role that you applied for was it usability and and user experience research, or was it just like a blanket role? And I ask because correct me if I'm wrong. Back then in 2007, 2008, the idea of someone whose whose sole job is usability probably wasn't as prevalent as it is today.
2: No, it wasn't. Um, well, it's was kind of funny how I got the job. So I um, through all my interviews, I had a couple of them that I basically turned down because I was kind of not interested and I also was interviewing at Google and I really wanted to work at Google. Sure. This was, yeah. You know, they were the number one company to work for then every, every year they'd get voted. Um, you know, it would have been really great. And the interview process took forever. It took like three, four months. Wow. And, uh, you know, I made it all the way to the end where, you know, I'd do a phone interview, and they'd say, oh, great. And then two weeks later, they'd say, oh, you passed the phone interview. Let's do another next week. And then I'd do that. And then two weeks later, I'd hear back from them. So months later, I got flown out and went all the way to the end. And then I didn't get the job. Um, oh. I think, uh, you know, someone who had a PhD, I don't know. I, mean, I just didn't get it. And uh, I was just upset. I was like, man, I've been waiting months. I kind of was had my eggs in this basket. And I went to a, a UX meetup in San Diego and I was just complaining. I was like, ah, oh, this sucks. You know, I waited so long. Like, I hate those guys. <laughs> and <laughs> the guy next to me uh, was like, oh, you know, I, I'm running a, I'm starting a design team. I need, I need someone. I'll hire you.
1: Great. Oh, I was wow. like,
2: cool. So we, <laughs> you know, we did a couple interviews, but that was pretty much that. And uh, he, yeah, this guy, Jeff Axip, um, awesome dude. He was starting a design and UX team in this organization and had gotten VP level support, but we were, it was mainly just the two of us and a visual designer, and we were kind of, you know, carving out our existence there. It was very much an engineering company before that. That,
1: Um,
2: So there were some challenges there.
1: uh, Staying there, was it, was a primary part of the role kind of leading the charge and educating, you know, a lot of people there, why you're doing this and why it's important, Um, or it seems like, you know, you had a few of the top guns kind of behind you and they maybe just trusted you to just do it do what you thought was best.
2: There was a lot of outreach. Um Jeff kept me largely shielded from it because I was so new. So I was just doing a lot of production, you know, user research and design work. Um but he and sometimes I were out there you know, almost battling uh battling for our existence and and you know, to have ourselves as part of the process, you know, to not the process before was that there'd be product managers who would make spreadsheets of features and they would give them to the engineers and they they would build them, you know? And so we had to say, look, we're going to be in between these steps. We're going to slow all this down Mm. in a certain sense. We'll probably speed it up ultimately. Um, but you know, now we're making these, these kinds of decisions and it's hard to really insert that, um, into a company.
1: Mm. For sure.
2: Thankfully today, I mean, most companies get it and, design is a huge part of the process. So it's really interesting to see how far things have come. And, uh, you know, it's great. It's exciting.
0: Yeah. I can only imagine that there was probably a handful of, uh, roadblocks, like, uh, you know, maybe someone just physically making it a little bit more frustrating, maybe not seeing eye to eye with a product manager on, on how these features should be built in or the process of doing that. Um, was there anything that you recall, maybe not the moment that it happened, but like, the the way that you guys got around any of those issues? Just because, you know, uh, not to go on this tangent too much longer, but it sounds like you were in a position where nobody really knew what, they, they, they knew what the ideal was, but the actual execution was the hazy part.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember one time where uh, I had done a design and uh, it was sort of a widget-based, like, admin UI, so there's different, you know, widgets on the page. And so, you know, a bunch of them were designed, but there was one widget on the page that wasn't ready yet, you know, in this wireframe. And so I put a big red, like, flag on it with an annotation, like, don't build this yet. It's not ready, but you can build the other things. And uh, a few weeks later when the, you know, the build came back, they had built the thing with the red flag on it in the UI. Oh, Oh, gosh. I was like, come on, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. Um, Yeah, so... There was a little bit of, uh, of pain there, and actually that was in part how I got back into writing code. I had kind of stopped in college uh, building websites, and then, you know, I just felt like it would be faster sometimes if I started doing the front-end code. Um, a lot of the engineers were more involved with the back-end or older, like Java-based UIs and stuff, and I was like, look, I'll just write these CSS, you know, HTML components for you guys. Um, and that really sped things along and I think helped build trust with the engineers.
0: Yeah. Well, they probably didn't think that you were some snot-nosed designer trying to tell them how to build stuff, but that you were like, no, I can, you know, I can get my hands dirty too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They really liked it, you know, and they were surprised because it wasn't an agreed upon thing. I just started giving them, you know, yeah. production components and they were like, oh, okay. that
0: yeah, well, made their job a lot easier too. They didn't have to build it. Go- going yep. back quickly,
1: um, <laughs> you said you'd kind of stopped, um, you know, stopped developing or, you know, coding, uh, why is that, you know, in that period of time, did you just not, did you really not like enjoy it? So you just didn't stay with it or you just, your interests had just shifted?
2: Mm. You know, it's just, uh, I, I really grew into myself in college. I was very shy in high school and, and spent a lot of time on computers. And, and when I left to go to college, I was, I was over, I'm just tired of being that way. You know, I wanted to be social. I wanted to be out there doing cool things with lots of people. And and I did that in college. And so I wasn't at home on the computer very much. Um, you know, I was out there going to parties and leading wilderness trips and learning to surf and, and you know, just doing all that.
1: Cool. Wilderness trip sounds fun. Uh,
0: yeah. It actually does. Can we, can we talk about that real quick? What does a wilderness trip, what is it comprised of?
2: oh man it's so fun uh a lot of the stuff we did because we were in san diego uh was either backpacking in the southern sierra nevadas or the deserts out there mm-hmm. or actually going down to mexico and doing sea kayaking trips and uh so yeah we'd you know i'd have a couple co-leaders and a group of maybe 10 people um, usually students and we'd take them you know we'd put them all in a big van and we'd drop down to mexico <laughs> with a big kayak trailer on the back and we'd go to the beach and, and load all our stuff in kayaks, and then we'd we'd go paddle down the coast for maybe you know a week or more and just really get out there and uh I have to say that was in terms of overall fun per unit of time that was definitely the best job i've ever had um but you know it has its own drawbacks
1: that's crazy, yeah that sounds
0: incredible that is actually cool have you ever thought of did did it ever cross your mind to like continue to do that like? you know, just be like an outdoorsy kind of guy and make that your, your, your career?
2: Yeah. You know, it crops back up from time to time. Sometimes I'm, you know, on a computer and it's nice out and I'm like, man, you know, I used to get paid to hang out on the beach with people. Um, maybe I should Mm. do that again. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a a universe in which maybe I'm doing that, but I, I really, I don't feel like the impact is as scalable with that kind of work as it is with the work that we do in technology.
0: Yeah. No, that makes sense. So
1: yeah, let's, let's Uh, go back. You're, you're with the security firm. Um, how much longer are you there? You know, what comes next?
2: Yeah, I did about a a year and a half there and, uh, it just wasn't, you know, ultimately it was, it was corporate and I learned that corporate, you know, big corporate stuff is just not for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I really like more independent kinds of work. Um, so after about a year, year and a half, I was getting a little itchy, and then uh, this guy Rod, who I mentioned before, um, was living up in the Bay, and he said, hey dude, I have all this freelance work, I have too much, I need help, uh, what do you think about, about quitting your job and, and just going freelance with hmm. me? And I was like, oh, I don't know, that sounds, you know, at the time, that also hadn't, doing freelance design had was just on the cusp of becoming a thing that was... Doable and and common, but it wasn't there quite yet. So I was like, I don't know. You know, I had these dreams of waking up like in a gutter with no money. (laughs) (laughs) And and he he said, look, dude, uh, just do some moonlighting and for you know a month or two. And if it seems like the work is consistent enough, then then you'll know. And that was perfect. I I did it, and I was like, oh wow, this totally makes sense. Hmm. You know, there's work every night. Um, So I ended up quitting and. Going freelance and working entirely remotely for clients that he had.
1: So, so Rod, um, was, did he have like his own little agency or he was just getting clients for himself and then like, you know, uh, shoring some of that work out to you?
2: Um, it basically turned into a small huh. agency of the two of us and, uh, we were doing that, we were doing that for at least maybe a year or two, I would say. Um, I actually moved, so I was doing entirely remote work. I was working with a, we were working with a startup in Ohio uh, and then we were building our own little startup. And so um, I was in San Diego and I thought, you know what, I can live anywhere. So I moved to Argentina for a while and was ah. was working from Buenos Aires.
0: <laughs> yeah. That is incredible. Do, now, do you, do you speak Spanish?
2: <laughs> you know, I took French in high school and I, it was just terrible at French. It's so hard for me to, you know, make the sounds that you need to make and uh you don't hear french in california you hear spanish and so when i moved to argentina i took some intense spanish classes and the spanish just came in and like totally replaced all the french in my brain nice. now, wow
0: so it sounds like it was a decent little transition then
2: yeah yeah it's, you know i love playing soccer too and and even here in california it's you know there's a lot of latinos that play pickup soccer so spanish is really lovely and, and useful
0: that's awesome jealous.
1: What specifically drove you, you know, what was the decision making behind Argentina? Just that, the the language and the soccer?
2: Well yeah, part of the decision to go was, you know, I, I was really content. I was living on the beach, and you know, was surfing every day. I had my roommates and my freelance work and my cafe and my girlfriend and it was very uh, stable. Um and I've been in San Diego for about seven years. And at some point I was I just woke up and I was like, man, I'm gonna I'm just gonna be sixty all of a sudden and like this is what I did, you know? And I just needed to to kind of shake up the snow globe as I described it. So I, I sold all my things and Argentina in particular. Um I just wanted to go to Latin America and it's sort of this Buenos Aires is this very cool combination between a European kind of cosmopolitan city and this like very uh, uniquely Latin American culture as well. It's it's a really great place.
1: Yeah, that's a, there's a lesson in there somewhere about shaking up the snow globe.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's wild, man. Um, how, was, how was working from there?
2: It was fine. You know, the internet was a little on and off. Uh, but actually, you know, I had a client in Ohio and I was in a closer time zone to them in Buenos Aires than I was in California. So it actually made things easier.
0: Yeah, uh, that makes in sense. In a way.
2: <laughs> um, but I wasn't working that much either. It was like 15 hours a week and, you know, the peso is so weak against the dollar that I was still earning more money than I could spend because, you know, I would quadruple my income into pesos basically.
0: Yeah. that. I, well, that's like the best scenario, yeah. right? Like, God forbid you go move to London where it's the opposite.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was great. I mean, you can I was just eating steak dinners and <laughs> <laughs> living like a king. It was fantastic.
0: Every night. No, it's I don't know. I think that could be cool cuz it's like um not living in the US and you made a small mention of it that like the internet would go out sometimes, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. You're just like, "Oh, can't work. I guess I'm just going to go surf." Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll come back and if the internet works, I'll work. If it doesn't, I'll go back and surf. Uh, yep. which probably creates a nice balance here it's like anywhere you go i say here new york city some some subway stations have wi-fi some of the parks have wi-fi uh you can pretty much get wi-fi anywhere you want which is which is nice right you can google everything and anything at any time but it's bad because we're all sitting on our phones
2: yeah it's really good to be off the grid sometimes yeah Um, but it it did you know there were some problems uh i mentioned rod and i were doing our own little side startup uh, which was a It was a site called Do the Right Thing, um, and it sort of wound up being like Get Satisfaction Mm. um, in that our idea was that you could have sort of companies have profiles on the site, people have profiles, and people could submit ideas for companies. Um, You know, like, hey, McDonald's, use like more recyclable cups or these kinds of things. Um, So we actually finished it while I was in Argentina, and Rod came and visited, and we were going to launch it from there. Mm. And... All we wanted was like a really, you know, reliable internet connection so we could launch and like monitor the servers and see how things went. Um, so we went to the one Starbucks that they had opened <laughs> to great fanfare in Buenos Aires recently, you know, with Wi-Fi. And we went there and got our coffees and, you know, sat down and the Wi-Fi wasn't working. <laughs> and we are like, what? So we went, you know, we went to the counter and, and we were like, hey, you know, I don't I think the Wi-Fi is working. What's going on? And they just had no clue. Right. They were like, "I don't know."
1: Yeah, like Figure <laughs> it oh, out Wi-Fi. You
2: know? <laughs> <laughs> so we couldn't even launch that day.
0: That's wild. I mean, I guess that that's what happens, right? Sometimes. Um, did you guys end up launching it though? On maybe a different day at different Starbucks, or maybe when Rod came <laughs> back to the US yeah no we, we did
2: launch the next day we had to wait you know i was living in this residence for young people and uh we had to wait till a, a time of the night when not too many other people were using the wi-fi so we it would, it would so be joke, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay cool so how'd uh, that go you launch it and yeah. yeah how'd it go
2: yeah it went all right i mean uh the site didn't blow up and get a ton of traffic i mean we one of the early learnings in any designer's career is that you can design a, a great thing, uh, but distribution is is a whole different challenge. And mm-hmm. if you can't get your thing in front of people, then it doesn't matter. So that's a really good point. Uh, we didn't have the distribution part
0: nailed yet. Good point. So did it just sort of fall by the wayside then, or did how like how long did you guys keep working on it?
2: Yeah, we we maintained it. Um, we just sort of put it up, and then we're like, "Here it is, you know, come come use it, everybody." And then we just maintained it for what it was, but we really didn't put too much effort into like getting it out there and you know trying to form partnerships with companies or you know, uh, all, gotcha. these, all these things that in hindsight today would be like mandatory totally. from the side. And this was what this was yeah.
1: what year again? Are we talking?
2: That was two thousand. Okay, so
1: even like social media and stuff just was not as prolific as a distribution vehicle too, as today. Like, you know, didn't I mean that
2: was pretty good, but we didn't build a bunch of social features. We didn't, you know, we we just didn't take hardly. We took few steps at all um, in terms of really getting it out there. Gotcha. We just didn't know, basically.
0: Yeah, I mean, it. it correct me if I'm wrong, but it. It sounds like that was something in addition to what you and Rod were already doing, right? That wasn't—I could be wrong in my thinking, but it doesn't sound like that—that that was the the next, the next big thing. It was like once this thing launched, and we got—we were going to drop everything else and start working on this full time.
2: Correct. No, it was—it was a side project, um, and I think that helps explain why we—you know—didn't basically yeah. put our all yeah. into. You know, if it was our main thing, we would have said, okay, well, there need to be some people on this website. How do we, how do we solve that problem? Yeah.
0: How do we, how do we convert basically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that mm-hmm. makes sense. So what, um, you did a lot while you were in Argentina. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of various things, it sounds like, which I'm jealous of, but what, um, you eventually came back because you're not in Argentina now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, why, why'd you come back? Well, I say, why? It's not like we don't want you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, what, what was the decision for leaving Argentina?
2: Um, I mean, I just planned on being there for five months. I, I, that's how I booked my round trip plane tickets. Um, and it was fun, but I was ready again to come. I mean, I love California. I, I, I enjoy going out for some short periods and living elsewhere, but this is, this Home is my based. place. I love the beach. My family's here. My friends are here. Um, yeah. So after a while I thought, you know, okay, Argentina's fun, but this isn't the place I'm trying to like start my life, you know? Um, And so I came back, and and I knew also I was getting the sense that it was time for me to go to the Bay Area. Um, I had had tried to start another thing with some friends in San Diego, and we just had, you know, no connections, and we had no idea what we were doing. There was no support network for young people to be entrepreneurs. Like, you had to figure it out, which is just really, really hard. Uh, And I knew that, hey, it's time to go to the Bay and, like, really plug into this tech scene, which is just blowing up right now. And yeah, that's why I came back. I came to San Francisco.
0: Nice. And did you come? uh, Did you go back with a job, or were you still doing the freelance stuff?
2: Yeah, still freelancing um, when I first moved here, and uh, and then Rod got busy doing uh, some full time work, and so I actually just freelanced on my own. Um, Did a lot of subcontracting for agencies, which is great. Um, Subcontracting is a really good life. Uh, You don't make quite as much money as you're an independent freelancer. But I didn't have to source clients or anything. you know. I yeah. just had relationships with all these agencies. And they would just call me all the time. Like, hey, dude, are you free? Are you free? We got a project. And I would just say yes or no. Um, and there was there was way too much demand. So I was fully booked whenever I wanted to be. And I was off on adventures and, and trips whenever I wanted to be. That's it was really a really nice, nice life.
0: Well, they do all the hard work for you. Yeah.
2: It's well, well, you know, not a, a built-in. It's a built-in They built do what I consider funnel, to be yeah. the... Yeah, they do what I consider to be the work that I'm not good at or don't want to do, which is doing sales and biz dev. You know, that's just yeah. not, my, not my thing. I like doing design. Um, so they would do all that. And then I would just come in and they'd say, here's the project, design it. And I said, okay. <laughs> it was really nice. Um, but I did get I did get a bit tired of that and uh, wanted more, which I'm happy to talk about as well.
0: Yeah, well, well, that's, I think, is perfect segue. You got tired of it and you wanted more. So how'd you get more?
2: Yeah, so I guess what I got tired of is that I felt like I was not having an impact, um, especially with big agencies. As a subcontractor, I would do design work, which would get handed off to them, and then eventually that would get handed off to the client, by which I mean probably some internal team inside a large organization. And it would get handed off so many times that it would either be um, changed beyond recognition or, you know, just get axed yeah. some way along the down the road. Um, yeah. and that. Kept happening, and I realized that I was too far from the the end product. You know, I was just this guy in an agency designing stuff that would probably never be made. Was the feeling I started getting, and you know, I never, I didn't go into this field to have a you know sort of a cushy lifestyle. I really wanted to make things for people. Yeah. Um, and you know, at the same time, Y Combinator was just this huge thing. It was all new. Startups were just blowing up. It was. You know, basically the beginning of the second tech boom, and I knew it was time for me to do a startup. So I started looking for that, and then Rod again was had just uh, started going through Y Combinator with an idea that um, that I had done a little help with. But uh, him and this guy Ignacio basically went into Y Combinator, and then in the program decided to do a startup called Ready for Zero, um, which the basic goal was to help people get out of debt and it's going to be a financial yeah, and goal. it's
1: awesome. Obviously I'm a user and a big fan.
2: Yeah. So that's how I met Nick. Um, but yeah, I joined them at the end of y combinator um, as sort of the founding designer. And, and we just went from there. I mean, we, we built this startup, spent about two and a half years uh, building ready for zero, which yeah is still around today. Um, Nick is using it. That's <laughs> I met Nick uh, through doing user research for the site and we actually brought him out here at one point to do a, a photo shoot for like a success story because Nick totally crushed yeah. it with his debt. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, uh, I'm actually it was super fun.
0: definitely envious of Nick and him. And I have had conversations on how. I mean, I think we all have debt. Um, and we've chatted. I haven't used Ready. I mean, I signed up, but I never really got into it. Um, for I don't know why, to be honest, just because I'm a dummy. <laughs> but um, I've de- Nick and I have had chats, and he's a big proponent of Ready for Zero.
1: Yeah. And I think, uh, so Lauren, I think, you know, part of it you were driven by, I'm assuming here, but based on what you're saying, you were driven by, uh, not only being very close to the product and being able to shape it, but also, uh, it, it's a product that, you know, directly helps people, you know, really influences kind of people's lives versus just, uh, I guess you'd be less attracted to, uh, a worthless game or something is what I'm getting.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm really mission driven. Um, and that's something that I think we're so lucky as designers or engineers to have right now is that there's so much demand for our work. Um, you know, if anyone has any talent, there are people just kicking your door down to to have you come do work for them. And so we get to be really selective. And, and I think it's so important that we choose important, meaningful projects to work on. You know, this is this is our chance to make the world a better place or to leave a legacy of, of doing something awesome. Um, and we can't, so yeah, for me, mission is, is a huge part of the projects that I choose to work on.
1: Um, so reflecting on, from the security company to then now where we're at, um, you know, where you're with RFZ, any horror stories or success stories that stick out just kind of a specific moment in time that maybe you derived the solution to, or, you know, you did something that was just like an extreme success.
2: Mm. Yeah. um, I'll start with a horror story. (laughs) Uh, For Ready for Zero, uh, this was just my favorite. We we were going to launch in February of 2011. And we had been just working our butts off for months. And as sort of a self-imposed deadline, we had set up a bunch of PR around our launch on a certain day, February 2nd. And it was like, we are launching on this day. There are press articles already written you know on TechCrunch and Wall Street Journal and these different things, and all they're going to do is press you know upload yep. or post or whatever on that morning so this is coming and the site you know two weeks before that is not done, uh-huh. and we're just working night and day and so we we get the site finished um, with you know like a day to spare <laughs> wow. um, and and I mean it's looking good, it's working we're happy with it um, you know obviously it was a MVP type. Type thing, and we hadn't built all the features we wanted, but it was going to get the job done. Um, that morning of the launch, we had stayed up all night, you know, finishing the site, drinking beer, kind of having a good time. And we decided to uh, send out. We, we just turned the site live and sent an email to our our list of beta testers and said, "Hey, the site's live. Come come sign up." Um, and so thousands of people started coming and <laughs> and signing up. Oh, no and after about 5 minutes it just stopped working you know like no one else could oh, sign no. up and we were like oh my god and you know in 40 minutes this thing was going to go on on techcrunch and, and all these sites and, and just get tons of traffic I mean, this was our launch day and we were like oh my god what are we going to do so we start debugging and we find out that a third party service provider thing uh that pulled your credit score um was part of the sign up flow that thing had been had reached its limit oh. on the third party Thing. You know, we're getting back this, like, you know, no more, no more polls today kind of error. Oh, wow. And so so we, we split the team into two task forces. One is Rod, who's calling these people, like, guys, you need to fix this. The other task force is me and Nacho, and we're literally recoding this, the sign-up funnel to rip this step out, you know, with 30 minutes wow. to go, just freaking out. And uh, luckily, with, the, with about, you know, 15 minutes to go, Rod got a hold of the right person, you know, and he's like, hey, we you know, our quota got reached. You know, this guy's like, oh, yeah.
1: You know, <laughs> That'll looks happen. Like you, looks yeah.
2: like you hit your 100 for the day. And he was like, uh, we're going to need like at least 10,000. The guy was like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> 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 he just like turned it on. And so, you know, 10 minutes to spare, the thing started working again. And so,
1: yeah, that's you awesome.
2: Dodge that bullet.
0: So, you guys, and this is not a, I'm not uh, trying to focus on the bad part, but the work that you and Nacho are doing. At the end of the day, it wasn't necessary. It was more of just getting in touch with whoever at the company to have them flip a switch.
2: Oh yeah, and thank God I that's mean, we good. Shouldn't have been ripping out a huge part of the production website with four. No, to exactly. Despair. Exactly. We were just panicking. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, it's uh, it sounds like you're going for the the worst use case in both scenarios, right? The worst thing is that you take it out, yeah. or, or I guess the best in the fallback, worst. you have yeah. to rip it out and then hope hopefully convert people later on, or someone the right person answers the phone
2: and they flip yep. the switch what's thankfully good. the better of the two options happened
0: yeah that's that's oh man i could only i i've never launched a site of, of that caliber um in terms of like you know necessity and like with a product with a really integrated product and, that, so i could only yeah
1: and it. not with pr i've seen you know i see what pr the pr machine can do especially on TechCrunch and things like that so that oh, had to yeah. be yeah, extremely stressful cool story though
2: oh yeah and I don't, I don't remember the numbers, but I mean there was, you know, tens of thousands of people signing up that day, so we really dodged a bullet there. But yeah, it worked <laughs> out.
0: <laughs> well, now, now they know what really went on behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, we got the scoop. Yeah,
0: that's crazy. <laughs> so, do you have any uh, to sort of uh, go against that? Do you have any like the positive or we call them success stories um, that may have happened with you already for zero, or uh, really anywhere?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the big one with Ready for Zero is just that it works. You know, we we launch this thing, and it's like, well, you know, we think it's gonna work, but but we don't know. It's this is new; it's, it doesn't exist until now. So we're gonna put it out there and see what happens. And so, you know, we obviously we're tracking all the all the data, um, and the way the site works for anyone that doesn't know, you you basically sign up, uh, you kind of link all your financial accounts, um, comparable to like Mint.com dot com or. Uh, you know a number of these companies, but it kind of pulls in all your financial data, and then it helps you make a plan just around your debt. It says, "Okay, here's all your debt. You know, here's how long it'll take to get out. Here's how much interest you're paying." Uh, it really just simplifies everything, and then you can make a plan, and it'll tell you, "Okay, you know, make this payment this month to this company and this other payment." Um, it'll help you automate the payments, and then it'll sort of track your progress as you go and, and give you you know positive feedback about how you're doing. Yeah, um, that's sort of the the core of it. And after it was like three, somewhere in the range of three to six months, we really looked at the data, um, and we saw that it was working. You know, that people who would create an account and like really engage with the site, um, they would do better. Basically, engagement with the site was correlated with getting out of debt faster. What oh, wow. a feeling! Yeah, yeah. But, you know, which isn't causation. We later, I think, proved causation, but. Just to see this graph of of people logging into the site and their you know this line of their debt is just going down super fast, about twice as fast as people who weren't engaging with the site. That was really powerful for us to say, "Oh my god, like we're helping people." Um, and then we'd have you know folks like Nick or or other people who would email us and be a success story. They'd say, "Hey, look, I just got out of debt and Ready for Zero was a really big part of it. I'm so happy. Thank you for making my life better." Mm-hmm. And I mean that's one of the happiest moments of my career really is, is that's what I do this for.
0: That's wild. There's very, I feel in my opinion, there's very few products that actually contribute to someone's success or happiness or just overall quality of life. And it sounds like you guys, you know, with a few, with a few things involved and you guys are a viable or ready for zero is a viable business that makes money. You've been able to do that.
2: Yeah. And I think that's also a, another kind of success is that you know there's there's sort of this weird dialectic between for-profit corporations and nonprofits and and it's it seems like this spectrum where you're either for-profit and then you have only money as the bottom line and and that leads to perverse incentives down the road where you might harm your customers or you're a nonprofit and nonprofits are great but i feel like they they don't have sort of this like rocket fuel of like money and investment like really propelling them forward Yeah, Um, and so it's really hard to to find a middle ground where you can say, you know, look, we're gonna we're gonna help people. This is gonna be a mission driven business. It's gonna try to have a positive impact on the world, and to make money and to provide sort of the financial incentives around, you know, really great growth and investment and hiring and all the other stuff. Yeah, and and you just nailed
1: it in that last piece. Is like that's the part that people forget i think when when we're when we get into the discussion about for-profit and making money and being a viable business is that's your contribution employment you know you you get to hire people you get to continue doing this it's it's not always tied to just being a greedy person that wants money so
0: yeah yeah well it's um this sounds bad but i think you know and our parents i'm assuming we're all roughly in the same age and that we're all mid 20s to late 20s but um our parents lived in the world where profit was a thing that was that didn't really care about feelings it didn't care how it affected someone. It was we're going to make as much money yeah, as possible It's
1: demonized and you have
0: companies like P, you have walmart p and g those kind of things that do that. they don't care how many forests or homes they wreck or how many small businesses they close. They just do it anyways because they make money. but then you have our group of individuals who it seems like are a little bit more conscious I wouldn't say. I mean, you can use the Warby Parker models as something that is, uh, you know, understanding of that. But it sounds like Ready for Zero is like this new breed of companies where it's like, you know, we're not just going to make a product that sells you widget X to make us money and we don't care how it it affects you. We're going to make something that makes your life better. And hopefully there's going to be more businesses that follow a similar path. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I think, you know, there also need to be corporate structures that support an evolution within that structure that makes sense. Um, So you look at Google and they have this, like, don't be evil thing, and now that's kind of going away, Uh, you know, a lot of people believe. Um, And it's because companies change, you know, they grow, the money gets bigger, the investors are different. And so it's not just about the set of people at any given time and saying, oh, this set of people has a good mission. Um, you actually, I think, need it baked into your corporate structure legally. The ability to to be a good that's company, a good you know, and, and have an impact on the world. And so, like, I think, uh, for instance, yep, B Corps yep. are really cool um, because it changes the legal framework, at least allowing a company to not just put profits um, as as the you know sole deciding factor behind
1: their yeah. It's really smart, and I think uh, yeah. Etsy actually just was one of the largest that just yep. became a B Corp.
0: Oh, that's yeah, awesome. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's really. It's, he's doing some really cool stuff. I will say it's interesting you bring that up, especially because Google, uh, Google tries to be a good company, but I think now they realize that they're getting to a size where they want you to sign in to Gmail everywhere you go so they can grab your data. So it's like I'm sure they're running into a problem. It's like how do we maintain our integrity but still be the Google mm-hmm. everyone expects us to be? Sorry, that was a random tangent, but...
1: So, okay, Lauren, so then let's jump back in and uh, kind of where you are today.
0: Yeah, so let's see. Uh, at
2: the end of 2012, uh, start of 2013, I yeah, I was getting a little burned out. Um, and that was largely to do with just personal stuff and uh, working so hard mm-hmm. <laughs> for for years. I uh, poured a lot into Ready for Zero, and I was just um, ready to kind of take a break. And so I took 2013 to off. To shake, the shake up part. the globe. Shook up snow globe again. It was, it was time. Uh, I had, you know, been working really hard for, for many years and I just wanted to travel. I had some adventures that I wanted to have in my twenties, um, that I just needed to do. So I took 2013 and I traveled a whole lot and did a ton of photography. Um, I basically didn't touch computers for a while. I needed a break. Um, and I, I, you know, I felt a need to come back to it with a sort of a clear perspective about how I wanted to engage with my career and computers moving forward. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I took the year off and then late in twenty thirteen I started thinking like, well, okay, I haven't worked in a year. I should probably like make a little <laughs> bit of money and, and pay the rent and stuff. So I, I started freelancing again. Um and I've been doing that for the last six to nine months. And now I'm I'm in a mode where I'm sort of figuring out the next big thing that I'm gonna pour, you know, years of passion into again.
0: That's really cool. At any point during this uh, year hiatus, were you worried about finances? No, really. uh, okay. I only ask because that's like you know, it's a, it's a real thing, um, and we'd all love to not think about it, but sometimes you need to.
2: Yeah, you know, I the thing was that I've been working at a startup for so long and not really spending any money that I just had enough savings to gotcha. support myself. Um, but awesome, I, you know, man. at the same time, felt really fortunate that you know, in in tech in the Bay Area and around the world, uh, there is you know, there you can make a pretty decent living. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's just a strange freak accident of supply and demand, where the demand for designers and engineers is through the roof and supply is just not meeting it right now. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm just so appreciative and, and feel really fortunate that I was able to do that because there are so many people who wouldn't be able to take a year off, you know? That's just a really lucky thing to have. Yeah, and, and no, that's, that's pretty did, awesome. Do you
1: attribute... Um... I guess, any newfound realization or newfound passion, uh, you know, to that, to taking that year off and really just going out and exploring?
2: Yeah, I mean, God, I learned so much. It was an amazing year um, on On all kinds of levels. In terms of my career, um, I'm still sort of synthesizing everything and deciding exactly what the next thing is. But part of it was just this idea that, or this realization that, you you know, you <laughs> Yolo, you know you only live once, uh, and so choosing your projects, especially startups, um, is so important. You know it really is like a marriage, and I absolutely loved Ready for Zero, and I I want the next one to be like that. You know I want it to be something that I believe in and can live and breathe for for years. Um, there's this really common story that goes around of you know your Snapchat and. You spend nine months working on a company, and then people are giving you billion-dollar offers. And that is just, you know, that's really not the case for most startups. For most startups, you spend, you know, it's like four years. You need to be ready to put in at least four years of constant effort on this one project. Um, And so it has to be something that you're so passionate about. The team have to be people that are just super amazing. Um, I think a lot of people don't really get that when they first come here. And so it's made me more selective.
0: That's you know, it's interesting, I think. Well, it's the overnight celebrity idea, right? And I've heard a few people say it takes X amount of years to become an overnight celebrity. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. which it's put some realization to it. Um uh, so we have we have three more questions and I sort of wanna I wanna ask two of them in 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 scope of some of the stuff you're doing now. Um and you're correct me if I'm wrong, you are currently uh I guess it wouldn't be employed. I don't know what the relationship is, but you are with the, the, the designer fund mentorship program, right?
2: Ah, that's uh, almost like volunteering. I mean, I just, okay. I've known the designer fund for a few years. Um, I'm on the board of one of their uh, the nonprofit side. Um, but basically I think it's just a really cool community and organization. Um, a lot of really, really talented designers of, of all stages of their career uh, come there and and startups as well. And so it's just a very cool community and I, I help out as a as a mentor, as a guy who hangs out and just talks to people. Um, I did a lot of their photography last year. So I just think it's a really cool place and I spend time there.
0: That's awesome. How would you, so then I think these two questions will work out greatly. Knowing um, everything you've learned now and your position with the Designer Fund and, and your work with Ready for Zero, how would you, um, what advice would you give younger Lauren um if you could
2: you know i I think I would say to just aim really high from the start, just aim for the stars because you know you'll you'll land where you wherever you do but i I think my first job, for instance, was you know at the security company was was cool it was great, I really appreciated it um, I probably could have got a job at, I don't know, Facebook or Apple or Google or, or one of these things that was clearly going to change the world in a huge way. Mm-hmm. I think if I had, had like really tried for that, I could have gotten that. And I mean, who knows what my life would have been like or, you know, it, it's always hard to talk about what you would have done in the past, but I just realized that there's no point in spending any time on compromised choices, especially when, when everything in the tech scene is just on fire.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, now this other question is, I guess, think of it, uh, you know, we normally don't frame things up like this, but I think it's relevant for you since you are volunteering with the designer fund. Um, when newcomers to the designer fund or new newcomers to the design industry or tech industry come to you seeking advice, uh, what's something you might tell them just generally?
2: Hmm. Uh, one thing is always about being selective, uh, but I've mentioned that already. Um, another thing is, is really you know that it's still all about people. I mean it is about your portfolio and, and your talents and all that. but you know so much of this is who you know, um, which sounds a little cheesy, but it's just that people are with, people are behind all of this stuff. it's just people. And so the more time you spend out there getting to know people, um, giving your energy and giving your advice or giving what, what you have to other people, Creating positive relationships will have, I think, the biggest impact on your career. Um, I was just realizing the other day, for instance, I haven't touched my portfolio in four years. Like, I basically don't have a portfolio right now. Wow. um, Because I get all of my work through people that I know already. It's just all referred. And, you know, that's.
0: Yeah, referrals don't necessarily need a portfolio.
2: Right. They say, or, you know, they say, oh, well, you worked on Ready for Zero. And I'm like, yeah, go go look at that. That's fine. Well,
1: in, <laughs> what have you, you done? Well, go go look at this one. The relationships are just yeah. critical, yeah. And I don't think there's enough emphasis on that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's a. I think that's a really good point. Um, I mean, I, others, do need, I do need I do need to update my portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> you should also have Speaking a portfolio. Of. Yeah. Um, okay, so we are towards the end of the recording. We have one last question, and it is the secret fun time question. Um. We, we, Nick and I actually have a list of questions like random. So we basically come up with like random things that we think about, add it to the list. And then we'll usually go from there. And I was looking at the list and I think some of them are are viable for you, but I just thought of one knowing your past as a wildlife guide. um, If in some alternate world, you could be any animal, anything doesn't matter. What would you living or extinct? assuming that you choosing an extinct animal will not be extinct automatically, mm. what would you choose?
2: Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I would be either a dolphin or a dog.
1: Now explain. Yep.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, dolphins are just super smart and they look like they have a great time. <laughs> uh, like when I'm out surfing, I'll see them surfing too. Uh, they're just fascinating creatures. So I guess I, I like resonate with them. I think they make mm. sense to me and then but dogs I mean they're just so excited to like run around and like sniff things and like run after sticks and like it just seems like they have a pretty good life and they're very simple you know yeah well (laughs) I guess dogs always
0: seem curious too
2: yeah or you know I just see a dog in a park and they're like having a great time and I'm like man if I was that easily entertained you know my life would just be great and people come pet you all the time and it's, they got to get. So I'd be a
0: dog. <laughs> yeah, you know, when I when I started uh, asking that question, do you guys remember the game Altered Beast? Mm-mm. That was the game where like you were um, like a, a, a like a wild not a wild dude but like you know a dude like no shirt like long hair beard like um, I don't know like a macho man or whatever. And you're like going through each level. It was like a Nintendo game or something. And you would collect these orbs over time. If you got enough orbs, you would turn into like a beast. That was like my favorite game growing up. Yeah, oh, it was cool. weird. But anyways, um, so I think that's it. I think that's everything. Yeah. Is there first, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. Is there any, I guess, what are, what are your, your details? So, um, anything you want to plug, where can people find you online if they want to talk to you? Um, is there anything, any talks that you're giving or anything that you're doing soon you want people to know about?
2: Hmm. Uh, oh, you can find me on Twitter at Lauren Baxter. That's uh, it's L O R E N, uh, also Instagram. Um, I don't have any talks coming up right now. I just got back from uh, a couple months abroad. So I'm, uh, again, established, getting established in SF and just settling in. But uh, yeah, look me up on Instagram and Twitter. I love meeting new people and, and talking to people. So if anyone's around SF um, or is interested in the Designer Fund, tell them to get in touch with me. And I'm always happy to chat. That's
1: great. Awesome.
0: Thanks so much, Lauren. Uh, we really enjoyed the
2: show. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it.
0: Yep. Have a good one.
2: Cheers.
1: As we close this awesome episode, uh, I just wanted to mention today's sponsor one last time. Uh, The company is called Ready for Zero, and they exist to help you get out of debt. Seriously. Uh, In fact, they've helped users pay off over $180 million uh, in debt since they started. Uh, That's a lot of cash. So uh, sign up today for free, readyforzero.com, and take control of your debt situation. Uh, As you know, if you listened to the beginning, as an avid user uh, and supporter of the company, uh, I... Personally promised uh, you'll be glad you did. You'll be glad you signed up and took control. Uh, Readyforzero.com. Thanks for listening.